0: But this sex just it, it, it just kind of most times when I hear people use it, they never go through the context. They never they never deal with any of the issues surrounding it. And, and to me, it's it's just a pet peeve, personal pet peeve, I guess. I just want to like, hey, believe what you want, but let's not make it say something that's not. That's a uh, that that is just a pet peeve with Daniel Seven. And I had told someone I said, hey, well, we can just start a room and talk. I didn't want to take the intention off what they were doing in the other room, but. Usually most uh,
1: don't. Sure. Daniel 7, that's quite a interesting chapter when you get down to verse 9. Uh, I don't know what your opinion of that is or the whole chapter itself because I, I think it could be recorded Don't quote me because I'm not 100% sure. That I've heard that the Son of Man or one like the Son of Man is often referring to the children of Israel. I've heard that claim. Uh, I'm not sure how you understand that when it's like one like unto the Son of Man in Daniel 7 it's i've also heard the claim that it's an angel whether it's gabriel or michael
0: oh i i agree uh that it the one is the one like unto the son of man uh is representing the uh children of israel the people of god um i think that's a dead-on interpretation I which really is a,
1: i'm sorry no i i'm sorry for interrupting i i thought so to me it sounds more better to say the one like the son of man is referring to the sons of god or the children of israel
0: Oh well, absolutely and I, I think sometimes because from an english perspective when we hear a phrase used and it sounds like something you know we, we reference we're like oh this must be you know this must be the same thing but i think they have a word for that they think they call it equivocation fallacy and i think Anytime you see the term son of man, uh, it's not necessarily referring to the Messiah. It has to be interpreted within the context it's being used. And the thing with uh, this verse, I always feel that makes it so uh, such a bad choice for some of my friends when they use it, is that this prophecy self-interprets itself. I mean, that, that, that to an extent, that's an advantage prophetically because there are a lot of things prophetically that are hard to understand, but like when the chapter tells you what it means, it's kind of like you kind of need help to get that wrong. And when you look at the interpretation, especially when you understand what the figures are doing actively, uh, doing the explanation, the only textually consistent explanation is that it's referring to the children of Israel. And another piece, I know when I was talking to a friend and we were, of course, and I understand people seeing it that way, but one of the things I kept bringing to his attention is that when you start to go into um, detail looking at that, especially when he goes into the interpretation of uh, that uh, judgment, you know, was given to him to make war with the saints, which correlates to Revelation nine, I believe, somewhere around. Then I could be off on some of the chapters of Revelation, but until the Ancient of Days came, uh, he was the one who up- uprooted the kingdoms. Of the Antichrist, but I don't think anybody would deny that in this context, the Ancient of Days is God. There, uh, th- then they say, well, you know, he's the cloud writer, which there are divine connotations of being the cloud writer in the Old Testament, and I wouldn't argue that. But just because we see clouds, does that mean it's saying he's cloud writing? It said he comes in the clouds. And the next question I always feel that we have to ask ourselves: Where is he coming into the, the clouds too? The Bible says he's coming in the clouds to the Ancient of Days. In uh, the Ancient of Days, I don't think anybody would, would, um, would deny that this is before God. And then the coming of the Ancient of Days to destroy the Antichrist, in my view, is the picture of the Lord's second return when he comes to destroy the works of the Antichrist instead of the millennial kingdom. Uh, because, of course, this is, a, I believe, a short view of the rapture. Uh, that he raptures us, and we go with the Lord to see him uh, execute judgment. That's the scripture. The Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones. Uh, We're going to be with him when uh, he comes and destroys uh, those nations and those individuals, especially the Antichrist, who has waged war against the holy God of the nations. And I think one of the, even if one were to take Daniel, let's say, in vacuum and just read it in vacuum, I don't, I always say I do not see. And I guess what sometimes gets me is that there are a lot of people who I think are really smart. And just to show how, I guess, anybody is capable of making this mistake. If you hear something quoted enough, you'll say it without thinking about it. I mean, I've done that. And this is a text. A lot of people who I really think are really smart people, uh, maybe just quoted out of habit, but, but I guess the, and thus the title of this room there's no way in the world a person could read this chapter from beginning and ending and come to the conclusion that, oh, this is this is a description of uh, Jesus as the one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds. No, that's not what the text says. If it's anything, I do believe Jesus is in Daniel 7, but I believe he's in an ancient of days, which correlates to the picture that we see of the Lord um, in uh, Revelation 1. The hair like white as wool. Uh, which a lot of our Hebrew-Israelite friends sometimes use to prove Jesus is a certain ethnicity, which, if there's anything, you's talking about color and not texture. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's that's always been, especially when I sit down and read it, because it's, it's going to be some, and to me, I feel like, especially if a person is trying to show people how to, you know, really be an apologist to defend their viewpoint, you're setting them up for the kill. Because eventually, they're going to run into somebody who knows better. And they're going to make them look really silly in front of people.
1: Oh, amen. So, have you ever read Brandon or Byron? Have you ever read uh, Isaiah 118 in relation to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9? And then from Revelation 19 verse 11, down to, I think, verse 15. Because to me, I, I, I um, the way Daniel 9, 7 is spoken of, it's the one who approaches the throne and sits down on the throne. But the descriptions of the collars, and in Revelation 19, verse 12 or 13, it has Jesus, deb- a uh, description of being a consuming fire uh, and so for me i I do believe Daniel seven verse nine is Jesus who actually sits on that throne
0: Oh, I agree with you, especially um revelation nineteen, the description of him coming uh and even when you parallel that to the prophecies of Zechariah the fourteenth chapter when they go into a Yahweh coming, to me, that's a perfect picture parallel to Revelation 19. And I was looking, and did you say Isaiah um, 119, I believe, Chris?
2: Isaiah,
1: Isaiah 119. Yeah. So, yeah. so if, if you were to read Isaiah 118 and tolerate that back to Revelation 19, Verse eleven onwards, and with Daniel seven verse nine, they're all perfect parallel verses.
0: You're absolutely right, and I, and I pulled it up in the NET as you we were talking, and it says, "Come, let us let's consider your options," says the Lord. Though your sins have stained you like the color red, you can become white like snow. Uh, come on here, computer, white like snow. Though they are as easy to see as the color of the scarlet, you can become white like wool. Uh, to uh, and, and I do see that as a redemptive type there. Um, trying to see if you're willing to add it to the baby, the good of the land. And, and maybe we're missing the text. Uh, were you, do you were you referencing the one in, um, you said he's like a purifying fire in Isaiah? Yeah,
1: yeah. Because because, uh, I'll have to get my notes up quickly. Uh, In Revelation 19, verse 12, he's referred to as having a scarlet robe on him. Now, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, when Jesus, before he's crucified, they put a robe on him, uh, the purple robe, and and then when you identify what the colours are representing in the four Gospels of white linen, is speaking of purity and such forth. But I can get my notes upon it and break down Revelation 19 through 11 through to 15. And it's a remarkable account of just exactly who Jesus Christ is
3: And I also think if you, uh... Oh, was he finished? I'm sorry.
1: No, go on. Uh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. now finished.
2: I'm sorry? Oh, no, he said he didn't mean to interrupt. You. He was finished.
3: Oh, okay, okay. I, I just wanted to make sure. I think it, even if you go to Ezekiel at, at, at the first chapter and start at verse, I think, 28, it gives you a strike. You know ezekiel starts dis- describing uh the throne of god uh that's very very similar to uh to to revelation where he's tell ta- where he says that uh, that the throne let me, let me let me see if i can pull it off
2: yeah
3: it says uh and above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of the throne in the parents like the sapphire stone of the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it if you go to 28, it says, uh, "This talk this, this go, let me see. It. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, it, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw it as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. This was, this was the appearance of
2: the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when you go... I think Brother Byron got a call there real fast. <laughs> God is describing
3: the throne.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and, the, and that, that is one of the, the more um, interesting proofs, I think, when you look at it contextually. The theme of the, and I, and that's why we say, um, especially, I think, folks from the oneness viewpoint, when you say there's one throne in heaven, I think we need to be specific. When, we, when we're when talking about the thrones, we need to say there's one divine throne, because technically uh, the saints are given thrones, which represents dominion authority, but there's a peculiar throne that is uh, mentioned in our prophecies, uh, which we only have a picture of the most high God of all creation being centered on. And so I was listening to a uh, one that's where he was debating. And he said, there's only one throne in heaven. He kept saying that. And I was listening to his opponent. And he was showing him the verses where the gentleman said, uh, and I saw thrones. <laughs> and, and he was trying very hard to deny the Bible. So I said, no, the Bible does say that. I said, I think that's why we have to be very specific in our language. Because somebody's going to catch us right from so Because if it didn't say that, it didn't say that. Uh, no use in defending it. But yeah, it's. It, it, especially, and I guess one of the things that gets me, when you read, and, and I always say this is the key thing with the book of Daniel, uh, as I was looking at some of my notes on Daniel, which I have a lot of them, uh, these visions that Daniel sees. And one commentary I have, it says that for a variety of reasons, modern commentators generally agree that chapter seven is the single most important chapter of the book of Daniel. Porteous calls it the heart of the book of Daniel. Hinton called declares it would be no exaggeration to say that this chapter is one of the most important passages of the Old Testament, which I definitely agree. Uh, Why is the chapter so significant? Daniel marks the literary returning point of the book from the historical accounts to the visions. Uh, Second, the chapter is important because of its enormous impact on subsequent Jewish literature. And third, it is of extreme significance prophetically because it gives us another typology, if you will, or or framework from which we can understand future prophecy. But one of the reasons, and and I believe this, that a lot of people, that they come to the conclusion that Daniel 7 is describing, you know, God here and God there. When you look at speculative uh, second temple period literature, there were people in the second temple period who did see this. Uh, the one like unto the son of man as a divine figure. There were people who saw it that way, uh, but that was not the only view. And I think if anybody gets Alan F. Siegel's book, Two Powers in Heaven, what most people do, they only quote the parts that substantiate their position, but they don't really uh, quote and holistically, as one scholar would say, that there are Judaisms in the second temple period. And, that view of this being a second divine figure, which they say powers, but the actual word that is the earliest that I see used is gods. That the group who alleged that this is a second god, he's not alleging that this is a second person, he is alleging that this is another god. <laughs> so I don't know if they really want to get on that train all the way, but there's another view that leans more to what, as uh, Boyarin calls the divine fluidity view, where this is seen as a fluid picture. Of uh the one divine God, Him sometimes appearing as old as being ancient, and sometimes Him being the Son of Man. But these are just two self same manifestations of the first. That's one view, which even though that view uh, would be closer to modalism, I don't agree with that view. Oh, what does it mean? Is you're not oneness? No, because that's not what the Bible said. And the reason my contention with any because. There are some oneness people that interpret it that way. And I know I used to disagree with a oneness friend energetically over that until I researched and found out that, well, there were people who did see it that way. Now, what does that mean? From my viewpoint, I just think my friend and those ancient folks are wrong. <laughs> Why can't you make such a bold claim? Because when we read the Bible, uh, it tells us what it means. <laughs> it's it's kind of like you... you and, and there was a writing style that was uh, unique to the Jews, especially in the second Temple period, called the Midrash. Uh, a lot of these interpretations that people are trying to use as proto-Trinitarian or proto-Vinitarian evidences uh, in the Old Testament, they are speculative Midrash-type views that really, one cannot prove that this is a universal viewpoint. Now, I wouldn't go as far as some friends would say, well, nobody believed that. No, that's not true there are definitely people who saw it that way. Uh, but is that what the text said? And of course I, I I, I read and interpret scripture from a fundamentalist viewpoint that let God be true and every man, a liar. And I told a friend, I said, well, what if everybody in history said this? Well, if we can clearly see what God said, what the case was, who should we go with in these situations? Uh, but when you read Daniel seven, the one like unto the son of man. And I think I, um, I actually brought this to the attention of one of our friends. We were talking because he saw clouds and he saw coming in. The, he saw cows and him moving and he tied it to the uh, instance uh, where the Lord was before. Uh, Lord, I'm having one of those moments. I can't think the king yet. He was like, uh, when the Lord said, then you shall see the son of man coming in the cows of glory. And interestingly enough, me and Alby were talking and because uh, coming in the clouds can also be a prophetic picture of judgment. Which is the way uh, I believe Alby sees, unless I misunderstood him. Uh, But even still, let's say that that's what he was describing. Which to me, the coming in the clouds in that context definitely depicts a coming to the earth. Which I lean more to him giving a a picture of the uh, coming second coming. Well, in Daniel seven, he's going to the ancient of days, not coming to the earth in that instance. Uh, That's why we say it's a uh, motion contradiction in one vision we got him going to the ancient days and the next part we got him coming to the earth uh so just contextually hermeneutic, i just i don't see how a person can make a consistent argument when taking the whole chapter in consideration because i believe it's around verse um 14 or 15 that daniel after seeing this he is disturbed and he asks the angel for the interpretation and the angel gives him the interpretation so I would say if Daniel, who has seen the vision, doesn't get it uh, and he needs help, what would make us any better than Daniel? Certainly, we would need help. And what help would we get? Unless anybody have one of the angels on speed dial, I think our best bet is to look at what's written. And what's written, it does not it does not correlate in any stretch of the imagination to many of the arguments we see mentioned and a lot of arguments so sometimes with a lot of my friends and. The the conversation Daniel seven is almost a debate within itself because to me I just I feel it's a horrible proof text because again I've seen wonders people misuse it and I've seen um, I've seen Trinitarians and seen Unitarians misuse it I just think this text is just is misused when the clear answer to it is just given right within the same chapter if we read it Hey Todd, good to see you my friend
1: oh, I was definitely a rare <clears throat> It's definitely a hard uh, chapter to read Daniel 7 and the things that it's portraying. And interestingly, when we look at the term son of man, I do believe Ezekiel was referred to as the son of man as well. Uh, And so that's a possibility. But I do kind of now sway more to the prospect that, it's referring to the children of Israel as the sons of God. Now, interestingly, you brought up the case for judgment in reference to what Albie said. So if you don't mind, uh, I hope you can still hear me because I've swapped screens. Right, so this is based upon the clues uh, of the colours that was found in the tabernacle. Uh, and the colour and these colours are very significant, uh, and so haven't seen the call truths that the tabernacle teaches. Let's have a look at the materials that God specifically said had to be used to in its construction, uh, and so this is the contribution which you are, which which you are to raise from them, and so these are the colours, and these colours are significant. And found throughout the whole Bible gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, a fine linen, goat hair, which is ram's skin dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephrod and for the breast piece. Now, the, the the understanding of gold is referring to deity in that's First Corinthians three twelve, and that's Revelation twenty one eighteen to twenty one. Silver is in essence to redemption, that's Exodus thirty six twenty four and Exodus thirty fifteen. Now, interestingly, brass and bronze is used for judgment. And that is Exodus 27, verse 2, Numbers 21:19, and Revelation 1, 15. Because you did quote from Revelation. And then with the understanding of blue, it's referring to heavens or a heavenly nature. Again, Exodus 25, 4, Exodus 26, 31, and Exodus 28:31. Then you have the colour purple, which is referring to a, a kingly royalty. And when we look at the four Gospels, the four Gospels teach these colours in reference to who Jesus Christ is. And then you have the most interesting one, is scarlet, and that's in reference to a blood sacrifice. That's Leviticus 14.4, Joshua 2.18, Isaiah 118 and then fine linen is righteousness that's Leviticus 6:10 Revelation 19 verse 8 which coincides with Daniel 7 verse 9 and then the goats and the ram's head is the atonement that's again backing up uh, Isaiah 118 in relation to those two verses, and that's Genesis fifteen nine and Exodus twelve five, and so for, for me, there's a clear indication that when we look at the depths of of the of the coming to the throne under uh, judgment, because I think in Revelation nineteen fourteen. It's pictograph as Jesus drinking the wrath of the Almighty Gods, and and that would be in essence judgment for when Jesus comes back, because he is he, the, the the first time he's coming for redemption, but we know the second time he's coming it is based upon judgment, that he is gonna judge.
0: And man, I think those are beautiful uh, observations and uh, of subscription. I'm glad I got the replay so I can go back and, uh, this is clips. No, no. Okay. I must be just recording replays on my side. there. Okay. The replays are all good. Okay, sure. Cause I'm going to make sure I grab those, those are, um, those are good observations. And I think, in. And to me, it's kind of like when a person is going to, like how you use those texts, I think that's a responsible usage of, of texts to support the viewpoint. You You're not just grabbing them way out of left field. Like there's a substantial reason uh, to use them that way. I, I think we're dead on the same page on this, Chris. And, and, and Ty, it's good to see you, man. Uh, glad that you came up. Uh, did you have any thoughts on Daniel 7 again? Well, I was just
4: listening a minute ago and uh, I thought I heard you say, is it, was it clear to to the Jews of the Second Temple period that the Son of Man was also the Son of God, uh, something along those lines, did I hear that correctly?
0: Well, I don't think I said that unless I got mixed up, but I was saying um, there were those Jews in the Second Temple period who interpreted in Daniel 7, there were some who did see this as a second divine figure. But at most, uh, it seems that they saw this figure, to me, from what I'm reading as like a second god or something. Uh, but again, even those who saw it that way, they are a minority. Wait, wait, like, say that like, one more so, time, one more time. Th- there were some yeah, who yeah. saw it as potentially like a second god. Uh, I guess that would go more longer in the two powers, as we call it now, in the two powers tradition. But they would definitely not be seen as the majority. Uh And there were some Jews who saw this as a uh, like a divine fluidity, where uh, this is the same God revealing Himself as the old and the young. uh, That it's the same Yahweh. I I would personally, from what I said, disagree with both of those conclusions because they don't align with uh, the the chapter's interpretation of the events.
4: Okay, so you're just saying some saw him as like a a lower tier god two, two, from, two, from what I can say, the,
0: uh, it, definitely, it definitely from most of what I've read of two powers it seems like it was a type of subordination thing going on
4: uh huh okay yeah I misunderstood you I thought you were talking about whether the Jews saw, interpreted the son of man as being uh, also being the same one who is the Son of God, the particular singular Son of God, which we we see distinguished in the Tanakh, which I know you agree with. Which I know you. Agree.
0: Well, I, I would say uh, when we say Son of God, I would say we have to define what we mean by that, because I think there when it comes to the term Son of God, and especially like in Daniel the one like I'm having, the term, having
4: trouble the understanding. understanding.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Is, it, is this a little better now?
4: Yeah, a little Ooh. bit.
0: But okay. I, I just get that echo uh, too, too. Uh, Let me see. Uh, let me see if I can pull that down a bit. But I, I would say um, that when reading the understanding, as Chris even alluded to, the term son of man or the one like, a, uh, the one like unto the son of man. Son of man is an Old Testament term that has a wide range of meaning. And I think it's a term that has to be interpreted within the context that is being used because um, I believe it's in Daniel over 40 times he's referred to as the son of man. Uh, and I believe there are others that are alluded to as such. So I, I think, son of, whenever we're going to come to a conclusion on it, we would have to anchor it based on its context.
4: Gosh, if you, I can't hear what you're saying. Chris, I don't know if you, does he kind of dip out for you as well? Some of what he's you know,
1: saying. He's, I, I can hear what Brandon's saying. Uh, and Just I right there, Dan. When... Let me say
4: this real uh, quick in response to that. Um I would say that the 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 Pharisees and the Sadducees, being well versed in the you know, Tanakh, understood that when you see "Son of God" and "Son of Man," this one being the Son of Man, right, is also. uh distinguished as being the Son of God. The Son of Man, it starts out through throughout the Tanakh. It's, he's mentioned many times. Uh, I don't know how many times. But, it, you know, starting out, it, the Son of Man is one who's condemned. By the time you get to Daniel, the Son of Man is one who is elevated as going before the Ancient of Days. But just to kind of demonstrate why I'm saying that, When Jesus was questioned before um, the Jews, before he was led to his death, um, the high priest said to him, I put you under oath by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. So when they say the Christ, they know that that is one particular person, the Messiah. And Then they say the son of God. They're identifying the Messiah as being particular son of God so um, Definitely distinguished there and Jesus answered and said you yourself said it nevertheless. I tell you Hereafter you will see the son of man dot 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 then the high priest tore his garments, so he understood already from the Scripture that this one who is the Son of Man is also the Son of God and the Mashiach. Otherwise, he wouldn't have torn his clothes at Jesus being, or having to claim that he was the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of power. They understood this well. I don't think people realize this, Brandon, how well these guys knew the scriptures at that time, what was necessary for them to qualify being at that level. They had to be able to quote it frontwards and backwards, frontwards and backwards, not just certain particular verses, because we know there were no reference points then. They would just quote the whole freaking chapter, the whole book. That was necessary. They knew these things. They they talked about them. They had inner uh, theological debates. Um, um, it, there's a lot to be said there. But right here, you can see that all three are uh, referring to the same person. In is a well-known uh, thing in their position. So. Anyway, anyway, what, just wanted let to say
0: that let me respond to that real quickly. Uh as far as him being the mashiach or the one that's coming back, you you won't find any disagreement with me there. Uh I'm I'm of anything. I'm on that ship very adamantly.
4: I can't but, I can't understand. I can't, say, I can't understand what,
0: what you What about right now?
4: I just can't understand. I, I just can't understand, I I just can't understand
0: you and I'm getting an echo coming, here? coming through. There is so maybe this is a little better. Uh, What I'm saying, you won't find any contention for me with uh, the fact that Jesus is called the Son of Man. Uh, But my contention is that, one, he is not the only one called the Son of Man. Two, no contextual evidence. One, explicitly links this to Daniel 7. Three, the description that Jesus gives there. There are two prominent theories that I think are worth their salt. One is uh, when he's talking to the high priest, then we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. When we go to the book of Daniel and he's coming in the clouds, he's going to the ancient days, not to the earth. I believe this claim here is a picture to his uh, second return, the second coming, when it says, all Yeah, the,
4: absolutely.
0: Yeah, all the, all the nations of the earth should will when they see him. The other problem that we have to have. Is that this totally ignores the interpretation that we get in the chapter? And I guess that's one of my things from doing a prophetic text when we are given the interpretation. I mean, that's I think it's a it's a benefit that shouldn't be ignored. I definitely do believe it in my theory. Why I think he tore his garments? Yes, he understood him claiming to be the son of God, which I definitely believe is a claim uh, that would make him nervous, but. The one that we are, the, if anything, that we'll see coming um, back in the clouds in Daniel 7 isn't the one like unto the Son of Man, it's the Ancient of Days. Um, so I think this is why he threw his garments, because even when he says, then you shall see the Son of Man, or se- see me come back in the clouds of glory, the one that's coming back in Daniel 7, if one just has to make this link to Daniel 7, which I see no reason to, if anything, it's the Ancient of Days is coming back.
4: Yeah, I would, obviously I'm going to disagree with that because
2: he's asking, he's asking
4: him specifically because because he's asking him specifically. Tell us whether you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, would you agree that he is saying that the Christ? And the Son of God are the same person?
2: Yes,
0: but. By asking that question? question yep. Yeah, okay, let's no, build, build no, 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 that. The, you can't build from a context that has nothing to do or you have not proven. I, asked, that, I
4: didn't ask you a context. I, wasn't, but I was the, asking
0: you specifically. I'm, I'm showing you this is the problem that I have that there is no evidence to link this to Daniel 7. This is the problem I'm trying to show because. If this is what you're making, how does it... No, 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 no.
4: I'm not making that. My point is, they already understood. understood.
0: How do you know they understood that if it's not in the context that they're talking about Daniel 7?
4: Because I'm I'm talking about as a whole, from their understanding of the Tanakh and all these things, okay, that you you could appeal to in different ways, they understood... That was a that was something that they understood to be pretty clear in the Tanakh. That is why Jesus said this to him regarding who he was. That's the point. That's, that's why, why that's, that's he wore his clothes because that was a well-known thing. Just like, look, here's another example. You remember when Jesus and this is like one of the most famous places he goes to them and he says how is it that the messiah is um let's, let's just pull this up let's just pull this up i'm gonna pull it up real quick
0: but, but again Daniel's just let you the focus is on daniel 7 just just to be clear
4: you want me to only focus on daniel 7 To answer
2: your question right
4: but but my point is the question they're asking is he the messiah the son of god his answer his answer is that he is the son son of man yes And and they they tear their clothes right
0: this is this is the issue that that i'm bringing which other commentators have brought the term "son of man is an ambiguous prophetic term used in the Old Testament. I what agree, contextual agree. evidence do we have grounds to say that this is talking about Daniel 7?
4: What contextual evidence? You're asking, so here's here's the thing, okay? I'm addressing one thing, you're addressing something else. You're saying, where can we from the co- the immediate context of Daniel 7 see that The one who's the son of man is also the one who's the son of God. I'm telling you that you're correct. I don't see that. But they did. They saw this because they're not only just looking at a particular passage. You have to understand the way that the Judaic interpretation of text is. It's not like our modern day well, this is proper exegesis. This is proper hermeneutics. That's not the way they did it. They had a whole different way of, of looking at text for the meaning and the deeper meaning. So you're saying, where can we do this from the way we should we consider to be proper exegesis? I would say I don't see I don't see that there. I don't see that at all. But I think to back up what I'm talking about. Is right here. It should be clear that they had already determined that. And the pl- a place for another example to back this up is when Jesus goes and asks them about Psalm 110, 110: 1, right? Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. The Lord said to my Lord, Yehovah said to my Adonai adoni whatever it is but when jesus goes to them he um he asked them the question i'm gonna pull it up here uh it's matthew 22 it's one of the places it says now while the pharisees were gathered together jesus asked them a question saying where'd it go what do you think about the christ whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put enemies in. Therefore, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Notice that the, their lack of response, the fact that they could not answer this question was not because the premise on which he based the question. The premise on which he bases this question is that the Messiah is here in Psalm 110. And that that he is the Lord of David, the the fact that he's both the son of David, the descendant of David, and the Lord of David, Jesus, Jesus asked them that because they can't answer it, but the premise on which the question is asked, I just want to be clear here, is that it's already understood in their theological position, so to speak, I guess it would be more of a Christological position, that this one spoken of here is the Messiah. That wasn't even something that was going to be disputed.
0: Well, back to Daniel seven. So if this is what you're saying, this text means. Do you
4: understand, I understand what, what I want to
0: make? I understand the argument. Uh, okay, okay. But I guess the only thing you have to do now is to show me in Daniel seven where that quote, where, where this is the case.
4: Where in Daniel seven
0: they so quote what? Show me in Daniel seven where the one like unto the Son of Man is Jesus.
4: I already said that you're not going yeah, okay, to find it. That's my
0: point. Find it to prove it. Then how can you assert it,
4: dude? Okay, so I don't know if you were listening to me or not, mm-hmm. but if you were listening to me, can you surmise what what I was?
0: You're, you're,
4: what I, argument? My was, argument uh, was
0: based. I, I understood the argument. You're saying that this term "son of man." They understood this to be a messianic term. I said, okay, great. I accept that in that context. The question I'm asking you now, since you're saying that this must be related to Daniel 7, how do you show the Son of Man is Christ in Daniel 7?
4: You couldn't be able to do it just from the immediate context, I think, of Daniel 7. You wouldn't be able to do that. And, and I, certainly
0: would, I certainly would be able to do and, and it. And that's my whole point. I don't think anybody who believes Jesus is the Messiah is denying that he's the Messiah in that context of what's going on. I, I certainly wouldn't argue that. I mean, that's if a person would argue that he's not being identified as the Messiah, then that's a whole other conversation. My issue is is when people take the term son of man and, and then automatically assume that that's what's being discussed in Daniel 7, that's the issue I'm having because I if I had to stand in court and I had to prove that, I find it interesting people would not saying you in particular, but I hear people use this text often to assert this on Clubhouse when it's something they wouldn't use any other place.
4: Well, that's that's another thing and I I kinda addressed that at first. Um you see son son of man, how many times do you see that in then in the tanakh is well, yeah, well you actually times. you see it 109
0: actually wow, actual. ez- alone of, of that ezekiel's called it about 40 times
4: yeah ezekiel is is real big ezekiel uses it many many times right and what what what's interesting though and i was talking to somebody about this not too long ago this very thing the first time you see it is Numbers 23 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Right? So he's saying there that a reference to son of man, here's one that son of man lies and repents. Well, that is not, cannot be in reference to Jesus, but that is definitely in reference to all of humanity aside from Jesus. As he was the only perfect man by the time you get to Ezekiel son of man is 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 now at an elevation position of being the one who brings the very words of God to people right he addresses Ezekiel as being a son of man Ezekiel is a prophet then he said to me son of man I am sending you to the sons of Israel when we get to Daniel it's at a whole nother level and it's you know, I, the, the reason why I think this is important is to show that Jesus truly was a man, truly was a son descending from Adam in his humanity, in the flesh. However, right here in Daniel 7, well, this one who is the son of man this one being referenced to this particular one who is truly man has is esteemed like no other place where son of man is used and when jesus answers them according to their question it's clear that they for him to call himself the son of man from and then quote Daniel seven, they you can see that they. I mean, you well, should that's, be able
0: to that's the whole thing. Where does he quote Daniel seven? You you're, you're assuming again that that's what he's he's quoting Daniel seven. Where is the? And you admitted earlier there is no explicit evidence to make me think he's talking about Daniel seven.
4: So, the one who, um, okay, well let's look at Daniel seven. I kept looking in the night visions. Behold. With the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Right.
2: What verse you have? This is Daniel seven thirteen. But don't
1: forget, Ty. It says one like the son of man. And I agreed with you, Ty, on the prospect of Numbers, not uh, Numbers twenty one nineteen in the essence that the son of man used there is probably ezekiel he was referred to the son of uh, as a son of man but also uh, the children of israel are referred to as the son of man or the sons of god which would probably be the correct term because of isaiah israel was referred to as a servant And so I don't, even though I agree with your understanding of when Jesus was questioned, it's to relate it back to Daniel 7 without any clear-cut facts or just making an assumption is difficult because I do believe that's the children of Israel as one like the Son of Man. But then oh, well, there's also there's also the claim that the base of the kingdoms, the four kings, is referring to Babylon, uh, Assyria, I do believe it is, uh, Rome, okay. I Let me. I can't remember the other one.
4: Allow, allow me to just interrupt you for a second. I don't mean to be rude. Okay. Let me give you another example of when Jesus use the son of man in what, reference to himself, himself in particular.
0: Matthew twenty four. Can we just stay in Daniel seven right quick first?
4: I'm dude, I'm just trying to back up my position on what I believe. If you want me to just stay in Daniel seven to assert my position, well that's not that's not my position. You know what I mean? You're saying should, you know, prove your point from the way I think you should interpret scripture. Well Sorry, I don't think that's the way I should interpret Scripture.
0: So no, I, that's just I'm not if if what you're saying is going to be substantiating the New Testament, then mm-hmm. we have to understand what at least the, what at least the Old Testament said, then we can prove it. Because if it's showing or giving us sufficient evidence that this is Jesus, then the one like the Son of Man, nobody could argue that, and, and that that is the mainstay of 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 I guess the point that i the tension of the role is say. In this vision and the way it's interpreted, what does the Bible, who does the Bible show us that the Son of Man is in, in this context?
4: I don't know that I would try to be able to say, Well, just right here, what do you know, what can we know about the Son of Man other than you know what it what it explicitly says? It's obviously a prophecy. And I I an, unless someone had insight or it, it had said it in
2: them. the same chapter, it self interprets in the same chapter.
4: Well, I, I, I guess what I'm my point that I'm making is is that when you start reading in the New Testament, it's 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 so clear that when Jesus quotes that for um, the Sanhedrin and he points to it in other places, like Matthew 24 um, 30, when he's talking about, you know, before his, his second coming, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. He's quoting here in, from Daniel with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels, right? So it's not just a matter of. Well, could we? Could this just be the way he's he's talking about it? uh, Himself included in Israel? No, it's it's obviously him in particular because he will send forth his angels and his elect from the four winds. So, I mean, like the only point I was making, Brandon, is this that it, it from the Second Temple period, those guys who were considered to be the authority on Scripture clearly recognized Son of Man being referenced to here in Daniel as being the Mashiach and the singular particular Son of God. That's that's the only point I was making. Well,
0: let's let's just look at the text, and I think you start with verse 13, I was watching in the night visions and with the clouds of the sky, one like a Son of Man was approaching. Now, what's interesting here is that the NET has a footnote from the Old Testament translators at Wombe Committee. This text is probably the main OT background for Jesus' use of the term Son of Man, which a lot of people see it that way. In both Jewish and Christian circles, the reference in the book of Daniel has traditionally been understood to refer to an individual, usually in a Messianic sense. Many scholars, however, understand the reference to have a corporate identity. In this view, the Son of Man is to be equated with the Holy Ones, as seen in verse 18, 21, uh, excuse me, 22, 25, or the people of the Holy Ones, understood as a reference to the Jewish people. Uh, That was just a footnote there, and I just wanted to read it. Was approaching, he went up to the Ancient of Days, which I think we would both agree in this context, Ancient of Days, at least from my viewpoint, is the Father. And what's interesting, I'm sorry,
4: no, I'm, no saying I'm saying, of course,
0: course, yeah. He's the father, but what's interesting, the one like to the son of man is escorted before him. Now, that's fascinating. We don't, any New Testament picture doesn't show us um, an escorting in mean, anything. Matthew 24, what you quoted, seems very similar. When the angels shall gather his elect, and they're going to bring him to them. But verse 14, to him was given, ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty. All peoples, nations, language groups were serving him. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Now, this is where it gets interesting. At verse 14, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed and the visions of my mind were alarming to me. I approached one of those standing nearby and asked him about the meaning of this. So he spoke to me and revealed to me the interpretation of the vision. Verse 17, these large beasts, which are the four in number, represent four kings. Who will arise from the earth, the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will take possession of the kingdom forever and ever. Same picture we see of the one like the son of man. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others. It was very dreadful with the rows of teeth, of iron, bronze claws, and it devoured, crushed, and trampled anything that was left with its feet. I also wanted to know the meaning of the ten horns on his head and uh, other and the other horn that came up before which the three others fell. This was the horn that had eyes and a mouth speaking arrogant things which a, appearance was more formidable than the others. While I was watching that horn began to wage war against the holy ones and was defeating them until the ancient of days arrived and judgment was rendered in favor of the Holy Ones of the Most High. Then the time came for the Holy Ones to take possession of the kingdom. This is what he told me. The fourth beast. See, I have there. a, a different
4: interpretation. interpretation. I'm, reading I'm reading from a different, from a different interpretation,
2: interpretation than that. A yeah, different version? A
4: different, a different translation. translation. Yeah. Oh, okay,
2: yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah. In, in, my in my translation, translation the, the ancient angel days, days came. And judgment, judgment was given, was given favor in favor, favor of, of the, the saints, right of, of the high, the highest, highest one, right.
0: Okay. Same, so like uh, the same thing.
4: Well, well the highest, the highest one there is singular. singular.
0: Let me see it. What what verse is that? The verse, the verse you just read, twenty one,
4: or actually twenty two. I'm, I'm sorry.
0: Until the ancient days arrived and judgment was rendered in favor of the holy ones of the Most High. What what does your yep. version say?
4: In favor, in favor of, of the, the saints, saints of the highest, highest one.
0: So wouldn't that like holy wouldn't wouldn't it be like uh plural of Kadesh or something? The saints of the highest of the holy ones? Wouldn't it kinda no. be saying the same thing?
4: No, no the singular, singular is not the same thing. Plural. I think that's Say, really uh,
0: the favor of the whole who are the holy ones there.
4: Well mine, well, mine says, says saints.
0: saints. Right? Holy saints ones holy, holy ones? ones?
4: Yeah, yeah, but but this one same says thing. the highest, highest
0: one. The, in my in favor of the holy ones of the Most High.
4: So it, it says, says highest one, one in mine, and it, it says, says most, most High, high yours.
0: Isn't that the saying same, the same thing? Highest one in verse and Most High the same thing?
4: Sure, sure, sure. I, um, I, thought, I thought that you, you said, said um, um, that, part that part was plural. plural. If that's, that's, I, might I might have misunderstood, misunderstood. you.
0: Oh no, it, it it can happen that sometime that southern draw gets me. Uh, but since then, the time came for the holy ones to take possession of the kingdom. This is what he told me. The fourth beast means that there will be a fourth kingdom on the earth that will be different from all the other kingdoms, which I believe is the kingdom of the Antichrist. It will devour all the earth and will trample and crush it. The ten horns means the ten kings will arise from the earth, and we see this in Revelation thirteen. Another king will arise after them but he will be different from the earlier ones. I believe that's the Antichrist. He will humiliate three kings. He will speak words against the Most High, which I believe is the Ancient of Days. He will harass the Holy Ones of the Most High continuously. I believe that's a picture from Revelation that says it's given to he, him to make war with the saints and to overcome the saints. In intention, uh, His intention will be to change times and establish the law. The Holy Ones will be delivered into his hands for a times and half a time. But the court will convene, and his ruling authority will be removed and destroyed and abolished forever. Then the kingdom, authority and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, will be delivered to the people of the holy ones of the most high. And then it goes back to using it in the singular, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. All authorities will serve him and obey him. This is the conclusion of the matter. So, Daniel, he gives the uh, epilogue to his prophecy. But it seems to me the the one as pictured as uh, Lord help me, uh, the Son of Man in this vision is uh, in interpretation, of the Holy Ones.
2: The
4: Son of Man is the Holy Ones in verse 22. That's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. Let me
0: saying? see, verse 20. Let me pull it back. Uh, and the ancient of days is the Father, and judgment was rendered in favor of the holy ones of the Most High, which I believe to be the saints. Yeah, and that's like a revelation. Yeah. So when You're
4: saying the holy ones of the saints. The holy ones there are the same as the singular Son of Man,
0: right? In, versus,
4: in versus, uh, I, verse, in verses previous. I believe so. Well, if it's the case that when Jesus quotes that before the Sanhedrin in reference to Himself, that would that would debunk that theory. But,
0: that's the issue. You have given no proof that he's talking about Daniel seven.
4: I know i I'm just asking. If you
0: could prove that, that, that he was talking about Daniel seven, that would debunk what the angel said. You'd say that tell that angel he was wrong. <laughs> Wait a
4: minute. If it's the case that what Jesus is saying is in reference to himself, there in uh, what was it, Matthew twenty two himself particular then it wouldn't it wouldn't contradict anything else in scripture so that
0: would be that's kind of and and again i believe when jesus is talking he referred to himself as the son of man uh i would not have any issue with that but the only the one that we see coming back to render judgment uh in revelation 19 is jesus he's called the word of god a sword proceeds out of his mouth he is the one who personally leads uh, the onslaught to destroy the kingdoms of the wicked one and the antichrist is given uh to the fire, uh, given to the, uh, the, the put in the pit. That's Jesus that does that. And uh, every prophetic picture we see of this, because it's, it's pretty clear this last picture is a picture of the antichrist in the end times. Every instance I see prophetically, especially revelation is Jesus. And maybe for one who may have problems seeing that Jesus is God, which I know you don't have that problem, zechariah fourteen also uh shows us the coming of the battle of the great day of the Lord, uh, which we know is gonna be Jesus who does that.
4: Yeah, um I'm I I I now understand, you know, your overall argument, which initially I did not, but now I, I see the how you're you know, you're kind of tying this to oneness this position, um, which you know, which would be the simultaneous modalist position. I'm pretty sure.
0: Well, j- just for context, I would say the majority of commentators I've read on this have been Trinitarians. Now, of course, they don't believe it, like I do, but as far as their interpretation of the chapter, like the N.E.T., uh, most of those are the boys from Dallas, you know. <laughs> so I know <laughs> the they a the man here
4: there. is reference to, to keep the redeemed ones and not to not to christ himself in particular
0: uh like in the footnote i read earlier uh that was one of their footnotes there let me pull it back up uh when they're given the interpretation they list the two primary interpretations a lot of people believe the son of man is a messianic figure but they make note uh that many uh, scholars see and understand that this figure here is uh is actually a figure of the people of God. And so I think they weren't trying to work for feathers, but they acknowledge uh, both
2: views there. That doesn't seem to make sense to say that
4: that would be in reference to the people of God consideration. of The way Jesus uses it in those places that I mentioned, and even the way that they react reacted to it
0: but but i guess that's my point. i, I don't disagree with you that he's claiming to be the messiah uh but the, i guess that's when i when i did a study on the term son of man it that's why i say it's a term that has a lot of elasticity and that's why I, the only conclusion i can see the way to come to use it is to interpret it within the context it's being used in the context of when jesus saying that i definitely believe himself to be, um, describing himself as the, uh, the, uh, the definitely the Messiah. Uh, but definitely in that case of him standing before them, he would have given, uh, the discourse of the son of man coming back already by that time, uh, as we know before his crucifixion. So to me, logically, I would imagine they would be aware of these teachings under all of it discourse. Uh, so I, I would, to me, I would just think well, in that context he's claiming to be the Messiah.
4: Well, I mean, they were already aware of many things in plane, right? He even said that. He said, I've, look, I've been teaching all along, openly. You guys have heard me say all these things. You know, why are you even asking me these questions? And they, you know, the guards hit him in the face. No. But, yeah, go ahead, man. I've probably you.
1: No, no, you're all right, Ty. Would it be fair to say that Daniel... When in Daniel, when it mentions the son of man, it's not really a correct translation because I do believe Daniel 7 is written in Aramaic and not Hebrew, and so there might be a difference of interpretation from how they understand the term son of Adam being a human, and also Israel can be collectively a card one, so even though it's it's plural in the sense that everybody, that all the children of Israel are collectively known as one of uh, uh, And so f- for me, Daniel 7...
4: I understand your point. I actually have a friend that can read Aramaic. Maybe I could bring him in here. I could ask him.
1: Sure. I mean, I don't necessarily read Aramaic, but I do believe that Daniel seven is Aramaic rather than it is Hebrew. I believe and they it's written do in have a different... also. Sorry, Brandon. I believe, I believe it is written in the Aramaic Daniel Seven. Yeah. And so I do believe there's a difference of how they how how they translate words or how they how they speak and then how it's translated. So it could be a mistranslation from Aramaic into English. And then it gives us the sense that this is referring to the, the Jesus being divine and Jesus being the Son of God, the Son of Man, where I'm sure we would all agree that Ezekiel, he is referred to as the Son of Man, and also Israel collectively as a whole. Is ref- and they would be collectively known as the saints as well because remember, Israel is God's chosen people. So for me, Daniel 7 has to be about the children of Israel.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to also throw out there, as we were looking at, because the, the interpretation doesn't happen until like around verse 15. At verse uh, 13, when it talks about the Son of Man was approaching, and we're described he's going to receive kingdom authority. All these things are going to be the ones the the the, the um the holy ones receive. And in Daniel 718, it says the holy ones of the most high will receive the kingdom and will take possession of the kingdom forever and ever. Same language is used of this one. While I was watching that horn began to wage war against the holy ones and was defeating them. Uh verse 22, until the ancient of days arrived and judgment was rendered in favor of the holy ones of the most high then the time came for the holy ones to take possession of the kingdom how do they take possession of the kingdom the ancient of days give it to them in my view thus fulfilling the words of christ if you suffer with me you will reign with me he will speak uh verse 25 he will speak words against the most high he will arrest the holy ones of the most high continually his intention will change times established by laws the holy ones will be delivered into his hands for a time and half of times and at verse 27 then the kingdom authority and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be delivered to the peoples of the holy ones of the most high. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. All authorities will serve him and obey him. Right there, we have the, uh, the equation in verse 27 of the people who are the holy ones being called the hymn there, uh, which to me kind of ties in the prophetic interpretation uh, that we've seen in the, uh, the, the chapter. Oh, and the one like into the ancient of days. That was another part I meant to think about. The one like his hair white. Uh, the description here mirrors the description of the glorified Christ perfectly in Revelation one. Uh, the, hey Brandon, uh, I got
4: to step, step away, away for a I'm back. sorry. I'm back. No, no you good?
0: the combo. The 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 yeah, picture yeah. we oh, you if take your time I get it. Um, the the picture we see here in Daniel seven of the of the glorified Jesus Christ who calls himself the almighty, uh, which I have some friends who disagree and I respectfully, of course, you know, but I, I don't see how a person can get out of saying Jesus is God. I mean, you need help to get that wrong. Like you have to be very creative not to see that. <laughs> I mean, uh, I would admit in Jesus' human ministry, he was not overtly just blasting it out because I believe his role was to be a servant, to humble himself which really says something, but like, when you look at this, like the example that the judgment is going to be rendered in favor of the hope, the saints of the most high. If you go to revelation, let me see, revelation 19, which is an obvious clear depiction of that fourth kingdom from Daniel, uh, which we're going to see And remember in revelation 13, that fourth kingdom is de- is described. He's going to be speaking great swelling words. He is just going to, as we say in the South, his britches are just too big for, you know, he just, he just need to humble himself. But when you got revelation 19, they're going to say in verse one, after these things I heard what sounded like the loud voice of a vast throng in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to who? Our God, because his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth. Praise the Lord. With her uh, sexual immorality and his avenged the blood of his servants poured out by her own hands. Then a second time, the crowd shouted hallelujah. The smoke rises from her forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures threw themselves to the ground and worshiped God and was, that was seated on the throne. Now, this is interesting. It makes it clear. The one who seated on the throne is God. Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God all you his servants and all you who hear him, who uh, fear him, both small and great. Then verse six is going to get interesting. Then I heard what sounded like a, the voice of a vast throne, like the roar of many waters and like loud crashes of thunder. They were shouting hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the all powerful reigns. Same designation Jesus gives of himself in Revelation one. Let us rejoice and exalt and give who? him, not them glory, because the wedding celebration of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. She was permitted to be dressed in bright, clean, fine linen. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Verse 9. Then the angel said to me, writing the following, Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet and the wedding celebration of the Lamb. He also said to me, These are the true words of God. I threw myself down. This is so beautiful. at his feet into our worship, and he said, Do not do this. I'm only a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now we're going to see the Son of Man going to war in verse 11. And you tell me what this sounds like. Then I heard, saw heaven open, and here came a white horse. The one riding it was called Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and goes to war. His eyes are like the fiery flame and there are many diadem crowns on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He is dressed in clothing, dipped in blood. He is called the Word of God. The armies that are in heaven, dressed in white, clean, fine, and linen, were following him on white horses. From his mouth, extended a sharp sword, so that it, he can strike the nations. He will rule them with, a, with an iron rod, and he stomps the wine press in the fury, excuse me, getting tongue-tied, uh, he, uh, he stumps the winepress of the wrath of the Almighty God, God, the all-powerful, he has a name written on his clothing, and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then I saw one angel standing in the sun, and he shouted in a loud voice to all the birds flying high in the sky, come, gather around from the great banquet of God, to eat your fill of the flesh of kings, the flesh of generals, the flesh of powerful people, the flesh of horses and those who ride them, and the flesh of all people, both free and slave and small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to do battle with the one who rode on the horse with his army. Now the beast was seized along with him the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf, signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and who, who worshipped his enemy. His image, excuse me. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of burning fire with sulfur. The others were killed with a sword, uh, killed with a sword that extended uh, from their mouth of the one who rode on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves with their flesh. Then I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the abyss. Uh, He sees the uh, dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and tied him up for a thousand years. The angel then threw him to the abyss and locked uh, and sealed it so that he could not deceive the nations until the thousand years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a brief period of time. Then I saw thrones and seated on the thrones. Praise the Lord. Uh, Let me see this thing. is moving a little fast for me. Let me see. Uh, Then I saw thrones. Let me see. Okay. Uh, Okay, go back. And then I saw, let me see, uh, they seized the dragon, and they locked him in the abyss uh, so that he could know the seabirds. Okay, in verse 4, uh, 20, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those who were uh, had been given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. These had not worshipped the beast or his image and had refused his uh, mark or their forehead on their hand they can came to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until until the thousand years were finished. What correlation we see here. We see them coming to life, the holy ones, they are reigning with him. And as a final text, because I guess y'all can hear my son in the background. He feels right now, this is his time. He wants some attention. So if you go to Zechariah 14, and this is interesting, uh, when you read Zechariah the 14th chapter, a day of the Lord is about to come when your possessions will be delivered as plunder in your midst for I will gather again for gather all nations against Jerusalem to do what wage war. The city will be taken house houses plundered, the woman raped the half of the city will go into exile, but the remainder of the people will be taken. Then the Lord, you know, that word for Lord there it's Yahweh will go to battle and fight against those nations just as he fought in battles in the ancient of days who's fighting in revelation 19 it's jesus that's fighting verse number four let us take a a look here because it gets better the more you read it on that day that day the day when he goes to make battle the day he destroys the work of that old evil antichrist on that day his feet will stand where on the mount of olives that lies to the east of the jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, moving the great valley. Half of the mountain will move Norwood northward and the other half southward. Then you will escape through the mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to Israel. Indeed, you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah of Judah. The Lord, my God, will come with all his Holy ones, my Lord. Does that sound like the same thing we saw in Daniel when he's talking about these holy ones with him on that day? Praise the Lord. On that day, there will be no light. The sources of light in heaven will congeal. It will happen on one hallelujah on one day, a day known to the Lord, not in the day or the night, but in the evening. Praise the Lord. There will be night Moreover, on that day. Living waters will flow out from Jerusalem half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It will happen both in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be seen as one, praise the name of God, with one single name. Now, this correlates perfectly to the victory we see. In, uh, and I'm, and I'm going to be honest. I don't want to ask one chapter that came to me uh, that talked about in Revelation 22. Uh, John saw the city, that river that flowed from it. It's flowing from the singular throne that we see mentioned here. Uh, and he said that he will be seen, he will be one uh, in Revelation 22 and 3, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. And notice, noticed throne there is uh, in the singular. It's thronos, excuse me, I'm sorry. It's thronos, which means it is the subject of the sentence. God there is in the genitive, which means it's ownership. Let uh, me see here. And lamb is also genitive, meaning that God and the lamb are both having ownership of this lamb. So are we saying they're two different ones? No, no, no. How do we know? Because the context will tell us the throne of God and the lamb will be in the city. Who? His servants. Now, notice, not two, not three. His servants will worship him, not them. And guess what? They will see his. Face now didn't Zechariah 14 tell us that face that they will see in the end time in his name will be on their foreheads? Now you may say, well, what is the name that's going to be on their foreheads? Praise the Lord! I'm, I'm going to read this last one. I promise. Uh, Revelation 14, uh, when it talks about, and maybe you could read that in your time. My son is pulling me away. That that you see that it talks about those servants having the name of their God uh, on their foreheads which is inarguably uh, talking about the one true God. But if you look at these correlations, it's hard not to see that it's all in him. I'm sorry, I, my my son is pulling me. I'm not sure if you guys wanted to mind and keep it going, but I definitely want to say these replays. That That's fine,
1: Brandon. Uh, we heard you kid in the background one, uh, so that's fine.
0: Hey, what well, I, don't, I, I don't everybody. Oh, you go ahead. I'm sorry, brother.
1: I, I don't disagree with anything that you've just said there. I have no argument. None whatsoever. But obviously, your little one wants some attention. So if you want to close the room, I, I do, Brandon, I am subscribed to you on YouTube. Uh, and so maybe on one of your latest videos i might just pop a message and give you some information
0: oh that would be welcome my friend i, I really appreciate that all of that helps definitely and uh I, chris i really do appreciate you being here and uh you always bring valuable input in and I value that, especially you of course and brother byron and brother aaron and brother Alfonso and I don't I can't think of sister Joanne but we're glad to have her in Jesus name and I'm gonna pray real quickly we thank you mighty God that you're here with us that you're present to do all things but they'll thank you for your word thank you for the way that is called holiness God help us to live a life that is pleasing to you publicly and privately that we may show forth praises of him that is called us God let us walk with integrity so that men may glorify you father you know our weaknesses and you know our strengths and you're able to do all things, but fail. we pray this in confidence in the only name whereby we must be saved. And that is the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Hey, the Lord bless you all. And as always, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. God bless you in Jesus.